Welcome to the Meta Business Podcast. The Metaverse and Web3 are bringing about the biggest revolution since the internet itself. With your hosts, Paul the Prophet Dawalibi and Jeff the Juice Cohen, we will be bringing you the latest Metaverse business news and insight into what it all means. The Meta Business Podcast starts now. From the boardroom to the Metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul Dawalibi. I'm joined today by my friend and co-host, Jeff the Juice Cohen. For those of you who are new here, welcome to the official podcast of the Metaverse. What we do is we cover the most pressing Metaverse news from the week, but we look at all of it through a business and C-suite lens. We dissect, we analyze the business implications of everything happening in this Metaverse space. If you're a regular listener, thank you for tuning in every week. This is episode 13, Lucky 13. Um, we really appreciate it. If you're if you've been a listener from the start, if you haven't, no problem either. Make sure to rate the podcast, leave a five-star rating or review if you love it, share it with your friends. That's how other people discover the podcast. Jeff, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. It's uh, another week here. We got a lot of lot of news. I feel like every week, you know, I, I always think it's going to be hard to find stories and it, it's almost like it's, it's, you don't even have to try. It's, we're talking about them in our discord all week and it's kind of, there's always stuff. And, and that's why this is the best uh, half hour of my week, typically. Good reminder, by the way, if you love discussing metaverse stuff and you love the podcast, make sure to join our Discord. We have a community Discord. It's discord.gg slash meta TV. It's all kinds of gaming, crypto, metaverse news, discussion in there, uh, and some off-topic stuff as well, obviously. But a great community in there, so make sure to join. Um, I mean, Jeff, you're right. The, the, the metaverse, um, arguably the crypto side of the metaverse, was really in your face if you even had a pulse this weekend, uh, Super Bowl weekend, obviously. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I, I figured we'd kick off with this kind of fun story talking about all of the crypto sponsors uh, of the Super Bowl. <laughs> and this obviously, this article came out before. Uh, the Super Bowl actually happened. Uh, we're now recording after, but it says crypto ads set to invade Super Bowl 56. The massive sports marketing push by crypto companies has never been as evident as it will be on your TV during Super Bowl 56. And it, it lists a bunch of the, the, you know, the different companies who activated FTX, $32 billion company now, uh, crypto derivatives exchange, um, crypto.com, Coinbase, Binance, um, uh, FTX, uh, and it says here, FTX and crypto.com may not be the only names we see in the Super Bowl. Um, obviously, there was a ton of crypto advertising. Uh, the Lakers play in the crypto.com arena, um, right? There's a lot of mention of, of, of activations, obviously, outside of just the Super Bowl. But are you surprised that the Super Bowl was sort of infested with crypto advertising? No, not at all. I mean, these companies have so much money and it's a little bit of a land grab with a lot of these platforms. So it makes sense that they, they have the dollars to, to get out there and where better to spend them than the Super Bowl where everyone's eyes are on it. I, I did, I think I, I tweeted this week that it, it, it was a little bit reminiscent maybe of the dot-com era where, where you sort of saw a lot of these dot-coms spending money um, maybe frivolously or um, foolishly on Super Bowl ads. So hopefully that's not the case where this sort of represents the top or a near-term top in the market, um, just symbolically. 
but yeah, no, I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm curious which one, I guess I have two questions first, which one, which one was your favorite? Cause I have one in, in my mind. Um, I, I, I think it was the, so I'm not a big um, football guy, so I didn't oh really God. watch so much of the Super Bowl. <laughs> However, I did think the, I, I think it was crypto.com that did the one with LeBron. Yes. So that actually was my third favorite of the three. So the two Which that I think was clever were, because it would involved like a younger digital version of LeBron, which I thought, you know, the techie and me appreciated that. Yeah. I and, wonder if that was, was built in like a game engine. It looked like it was, it was almost like built in unreal or something, but the tagline was clever too. I think it was something like fortune favors the bold or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it was clever. Sorry. You were the saying other your favorite. Two, the two that I feel like people were really buzzing about, uh, the first one that got a lot of attention was the one with the, um, the flashing around the script was the Q the QR code. It was a Coinbase. Uh, basically, the whole app was oh, yeah. a QR code flashed around the screen. <laughs> and the internet. Um, it broke the internet. I guess my question was to you: Do you think that was on purpose? Because I saw a lot of tweets back and forth, like, "Oh, this is such a bad thing that the website went down." It shows how would you want to give your money to them? Like they can't support the load. Like did they not expect <laughs> this? Almost like what you hear when a game launches and it's and the servers go down. And I heard other people say, well, no, it was ob- they, they obviously planned for this out. It, it, it was like they wanted to show how much demand yeah. there was. And oh, my God, like everyone's doing this. So we're, which I'm side of the fence do you sit on? I'm um, definitely in that second side there. Because ever since Apple started putting lines out the, outside their stores for a new iPhone launch, like I knew this was all very purposeful. This was this yeah. is marketing, right? You want to make it seem like something's in massive demand. I don't think for a second this happened. Like these companies are not stupid. They know right. they're they going the to get huge scale traffic. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like you plan for it. So your site doesn't go down after your Super Bowl ad. If the site I, went down, this was planned. The question I had for you, Jeff, is and, and we're probably spending way more time on this than I think we originally <laughs> thought is what is driving it? Is it a that the crypto companies believe that there is significant? Because I've asked you this question in the gaming space. But do the crypto companies believe there's significant overlap between crypto interest and sport uh, sports fans or football fans specifically? Or is it that they just see the Super Bowl as like, here's how we reach the mainstream and just get in front of like, what other way can you get in yeah. front of 100 million eyeballs like this quickly? In this case, I think it's it's definitely both. I mean, it's the most mainstream sort of best way to get your brand in front of 100 million plus people um, very easily. Uh, so I think, number one, it's that just get the best way to get in front of a ton of eyeballs. It also is a little bit of a signaling effect. It shows, hey, we're so real. We're so we have so much money that we're able to spend this seven, whatever million dollars it is to get that 30 second ad. Having said that, we have seen a lot of data and we've talked about this in the past. There's a massive amount of overlap between crypto enthusiasts and sports fans and actually also esports fans as well to kind of tie this to gaming but you know we've seen a ton of deals between athletes crypto companies crypto companies naming arenas after uh, sporting arenas so there is definitely data to support that and before we move on i will say the number one ad that i liked was the larry david ftx ad because it was hilarious so if you haven't you know, seen I that, one, that although i love larry rock, david like paul you should check that one out because it was the funniest uh Funniest ad. Um, I do love Larry David, so I'm sure I'm sure it was. I have no doubt. Um, let's move on, Jeff. Let's talk about two companies that have announced or at least made moves uh, 
uh, into the metaverse space or stated that they want to make moves. And these are two, call it tech or media companies. The first here, huge announcement, I think, is from Disney. Disney said, the headline here is, Disney appoints executive to oversee metaverse strategy. So this uh, this guy, Mike White, has been essentially tapped to lead the firm's metaverse strategy. He's been with Disney for more than 10 years. He's going to oversee a team that includes senior leaders, according to this article. And the CEO um, of Disney has said that the metaverse is the next great storytelling frontier to be explored. So they uh, I'll just put one more quote from the CEO of Disney here. He says he described the metaverse as a perfect place to pursue our strategic pillars of storytelling excellence, innovation, and audience focus. Teams across the company are exploring this new canvas, and I've been blown away by what I've seen. The one question I have for you here is, and maybe I'm being too critical, and and obviously we're bullish on this podcast about the metaverse, no question, but he could literally be talking about gaming and all of these quotes would still be applicable, right? Why aren't they doing more in gaming if they think like gaming is is a, a pillar of storytelling, excellence, innovation, and audience focus, right? It's a new canvas yep. for them. Like, why are they not doing more there, but yet seem to to seem to be giving more lip service to the metaverse? Do you have a thought so on that? You're a hundred percent right. And this was literally the first thing I thought when I read this was why are they creating a metaverse strategy and not starting with a gaming strategy? And I, I've talked about this numerous times. I don't know about on this podcast, but definitely on our sister podcast, Business of Esports and the live stream we do. Disney is the perfect gaming company that isn't a gaming cur- company currently. Now, I know the history there. They've gone through fits and starts where at times they did build games internally. Then they outsourced them. Uh, Bob Iger famously didn't want to be involved in gaming. And, and I think it's been a, just a massive miss. Um, now they're getting some revenue from the deals they've done with EA for their properties like Star Wars. Um, you know, they've done some, some other licensing deals to a lot of mobile games, stuff like that. But the fact that they don't have a gaming strategy in-house has, has been just a massive strategic wonder. When you look at what Disney is and the IP they have, and just the fact that they are a media company that really does storytelling pretty much better than anyone else, I, w- I would argue, with what they've done with Star Wars, Marvel, um, you know, you could name 10 other franchises or IPs. It, it is almost inconceivable that they're not bigger and don't want to be more involved in the gaming space. So to me, when I saw this, it almost made me angry that they're sort of just paying lip service to the metaverse without making it more of a broader gaming conversation. Now, if this is the first step towards Bob Chapik, the CEO of Disney, having a different view on gaming to what his predecessor had, then I can understand that. And maybe we're going to see large acquisitions. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of times Disney would make sense to buy EA because they have they own ESPN. EA obviously has the sports the sports titles. Plus, Star Wars games are built by EA. Boom! There's a lot of synergies there. So maybe that's the next move. And you and I will say sit back and, and kind of applaud and say, hey, that this was part of a bigger strategy. But right now, to me, even though the metaverse is a massive opportunity and maybe one day transcends gaming and actually is the bigger opportunity, it, it seems to me like you need to crawl before you can walk, before you can run. And, and this is Disney trying to run before they can walk. And you know, promoting 
a guy who, you know, seems to be a longtime Disney executive. I'm not sure if he even really has any experience in gaming to quote unquote run their metaverse strategy to me is, is just simply not enough. Um, and I realize I'm going on a little bit of a rant here. I want to start with that, get your opinion on that. And then I, I think we should talk about the broader, like what should Disney's metaverse strategy be? Because I do think there's a massive opportunity sort of in this digital theme park type space where, yeah, it gets me excited, but I'll stop there and let you kind of cover the first part. Maybe. I, I, I agree with everything hundred percent. The question I had for you to sort of, instead of I have a question more than a comment really is, the lack of a gaming strategy at Disney because they have they have lacked one. Does that hurt them when it comes to the metaverse? Right? Do you do you think because they don't have gaming expertise in house, like people with really deep experience and knowledge, that that trying to build out a metaverse strategy, they're starting from a from a disadvantage almost. Like, do well, you no feel doubt. that it hurts I mean, them, it, or is it a clean slate? No doubt it has to hurt them. I mean, they don't have the internal expertise in terms of just what you would need, like developers and coders, a game engine. Like in order to be a serious player in this metaverse conversation, Disney either needs to buy someone like an EA or someone like a Unity or Epic. I mean, I just don't see any other way around it. They they don't currently have the the developers internally to, to build it because they're not going to build the the pipes behind it, like the infra, like the actual infrastructure of the meta, like the platform, because they don't have game developers and they're not going to build games because they're, they're currently not in that world. So that while they do have the IP and I fully believe that they could build, they have the DNA to build great stories and great games. It's not currently something they're doing. So I, I don't see, unless this is paired with a massive hiring push, what they can possibly do. And we know from past episodes, in metaverse developers are incredibly expensive. Game developers are massively expensive and in, in demand currently. So I just don't see much coming of this. And I do disagree. No, Jeff, and I think your second question was a good one, which was what do they need to do to be successful in the metaverse, right? And and your buying of EA, I think, is an interesting thought. Uh, you and I have you know talked about this uh, previously and uh, I agree wholeheartedly that it makes sense, the sports games, the whole bit. But I think you just mentioned another one, which I think would be give them, allow them to catch up at least in terms of being behind and, and allowing them to make up time is is Epic, right? Epic has family-friendly games. They have the engine. It feels Disney-ish. Um, you know, uh, Tim Sweeney, for all of his genius and what he's created, I think needs kind of the stability and, and good management of a Disney to uh, shepherd those properties, you know, to, to long-term success. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, to me, that makes a lot of sense. If, if you're asking me, what does Disney need to do to be successful here? And they tip their hat a little bit. Let me just, I want to read this one piece of the article here where it says, Disney says, said it sees the metaverse as the next evolution of its almost a hundred year old storytelling tradition and this is a quote from uh, Bob Chappick. He says, today we have an opportunity to connect those universes and create an entirely new paradigm for how audiences experience and engage with our stories. And I, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think the quote's interesting. And the conclusion I draw from it, even though it may seem far-fetched, is 
Disney never understood gaming, but they understand the metaverse because as you very uh, insightfully pointed out, it's like a virtual theme park, right? We can create a stop for Toy Story, a stop for, you know, uh, uh, Marvel, a stop for Disney, right? Like it conceptually, the metaverse seems more familiar to Disney than just gaming on its own does. That's actually a great point. I hadn't thought it yet, where it's like you could have the Disney metaverse basically be a Disney theme park and each thing could be either a ride, a gaming experience, you know, some different IP that you're interacting with. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. Um, another point on the Epic, maybe them acquiring Epic, there is a track record of visionary sort of founders selling companies to Disney, right? You had Steve Jobs famously sold Pixar to Disney and became their largest shareholder. So, you know, maybe Tim Sweeney sees that and says, hey, um, maybe I follow in Steve Jobs' foot, foot, footsteps. We know Tim Sweeney a has a big point. ego, so maybe he, he gets some <laughs> enjoyment out of that. And, and that's like about the same ballpark from evaluation, like in terms of the size of the buy, right? EA or Epic, probably yeah, about probably. the same, right? You're talking 30, 40 billion in that range, something like that. Um, I think that would be an, it's an interesting one to watch what Disney decides to do. I just want to put this next to another story though, which is, I think there's a lot less here to, to dig into, but they go together in my opinion. And this is the, the headline here. YouTube is embracing the metaverse starts with gaming. So slight difference here, right? Where YouTube is looking at the metaverse from a gaming standpoint. Um, and, and they're quoted here as saying, this is the chief product officer. He says, we're thinking big about how to make viewing more immersive. The first area in which you can expect to see an impact is gaming, where we'll work to bring more interactions to games and make them feel more alive. It's still early days, but we're excited to see how we can turn these virtual worlds into a reality for viewers. Um, the, the other part of the article just says that they announced their commitment to the metaverse. Uh, and they want to inject a new level of immersion into YouTube entertainment. It says their exact plans are unknown, but they're going to start with video games. Um, what do you make of that, Jeff, compared to sort of the Disney announcement? I don't know about comparing it to the Disney announcement, but I this all kind of confuses me. It feels like they threw together like a big buzzword <laughs> soup. I'm interested <laughs> a little bit in this concept of of immersive viewing, like it got me thinking maybe there's a world where you're watching streamers and then all of a sudden you can kind of enter their, their game and you can have your own control. So you can kind of be walking around their game and sort of interact with them maybe. And to be honest, that's a little bit, I think that was what was pitched with stadia, right? There was the, I think it was called stream yeah. connect where like basically that's yeah. what they were pitching. So maybe eventually we get to a world where that happens. Cause that's the only thing I can think of. When I think of immersive, like what is immersive about watching a YouTube video currently? you know, nothing. Um, nothing. So maybe there's some element to that. Like you can jump into someone's, someone's actual stream. Short of that, I, I don't really understand what they're talking about when they're talking about a, a metaverse with YouTube, right? It's just like the two things are not the same. <laughs> I mean, I really don't think YouTube understands. Like, this is the problem when you have a, such a good business. It's like, it's an $8.6 billion revenue business that requires almost no effort whatsoever, right? Like people aren't going to stop watching YouTube or posting on YouTube. This felt like such lip service to the metaverse to me. And it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of what, like 
it felt like the stadia announcement all over again we're gonna create the future of gaming we're gonna right like a lot of talk oh you will see probably no follow-up um i i think i'm it's much more interesting to see where disney goes with this than youtube right i think youtube yeah and google likely not even part of the metaverse conversation at this point i haven't seen anything of any substance from them so far um and and you know google just does isn't as acquisitive as like some of the other companies right i don't see them making an acquisition to get them sort of jump started in gaming or the metaverse in any way do you no i don't think so i think you're right i think the more likely you know people would even even apple probably Amazon, Apple, Facebook, clearly, if they could get past antitrust, Microsoft's already done a big acquisition and then could throw Disney, I guess, into that, that camp as well. Let's talk, let's switch gears, Jeff, to uh, wall street. Cause wall street also made metaverse news this week. And there's two articles, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll put them together. But the first here is wall street's metaverse dreams take a hit. And this article is talking specifically about, uh, Roblox, uh, whose stock was down 16% uh, as of today. Uh, Actually went is, down uh, more than that. Uh, I think it was as much as 28%. Probably when this was written, it was 16. But yeah, it was a bloodbath. Well, and that's in spite of daily active users hitting almost 50 million, which is up 33% year over year. And uh, I think they're their bookings like in terms of how much robux they've they've sold like also hit an all-time high like the fundamentals the growth seems to be there uh they just missed analyst estimates in terms of earnings per share right i think that was the the big yeah there was a little bit of basically what's happening is they're they're lapping tough comps because of last year was was you know peak covid so if you look at them on kind of a two-year stack they're growing massively but they especially in north america I think their North America daily active users declined. Um, so people were concerned about that. And then they're booking, they, so they actually give monthly numbers, which is very rare, but they said their numbers for January, um, North America DAUs were down again. And then their bookings, which is revenue. So their revenue was only up two, two to 4% in January year over year. So I think that, that deceleration kind of always scares wall street um but needless to say the long-term story is is still very bullish they're up over i think they were over 50 million daily users um daily active users in january so you know we're talking about a business that's basically tripled in terms of its user base over the past two years um obviously you're going to face tough comparisons when you're growing that fast you know lapping it the next year but there's a massive runway here i mean and they they talked about kind of three big pillars in the earnings call that I thought were pretty interesting. First, uh, it, pillars in terms of growth pillars. First one being international, kind of getting getting bigger internationally, um, kind of growing the platform that way. Second, aging up, which is something we've talked a lot about vis-a-vis -vis Roblox, meaning um, increasing the average age of players, having either people stick around longer and not aging out of the platform or attracting um, an, older, an older crowd to the platform. And then the third being um, attracting different experiences. So more like in immersive core games and, and other just types of experiences. So I thought that was, that was all interesting. Uh, but yeah, it was a pretty bad day as a Roblox shareholder to, to see that happen. <laughs> well, 
you know, we're still talking like a $31 billion market cap or something like yeah. that. Uh, it, it, Meta also took a plunge this week, right? Uh, I think they're down, the article mentions 34% this year. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, it seems like the pivot to the metaverse or to Meta, like, I guess where I'd love to ask you is, is there is there some amount of fatigue around conversation around Meta in the in the public markets where they're, you know, the hype has subsided a little bit and prices are coming down to normal? Or is it that fundamentally investors don't agree with the direction? I, I think it's it's well, or it's definitely the not the second. I don't think it's the second. I don't think it's that, hey, people just don't buy into this concept. Um, maybe people are, I think the mainstream is probably still very skeptical of this sort of like capital T, capital M metaverse. But I think the the concept of people spending more time in virtual worlds and, and these worlds having vibrant, robust economies is, you know, I, I essentially just described multiplayer gaming that nobody, nobody doubts that. That's certainly happening. I'm tempted to say that a lot of these are are sort of like idiosyncratic events where Facebook got hit by sort of advertising issues with Apple and um, Roblox is just lapping tough comps and and sort of like that that's what's led to the cl- the decline. But that decline is definitely leading to a little bit of I'll call it metaverse malaise, maybe to to create a term where you are seeing people start to like roll their eyes a little bit or maybe like get fatigued a tiny bit with the buzzword of the metaverse um just a little bit i don't know have you kind of come across that as well i mean not really like even in the echo chamber of call it metaverse and gaming and crypto kind of world that we live and breathe in every single day i i just don't think we were we've hit peak yet whatsoever like i i my guess is we're still like a year or two away from kind of peak hype cycle um, I truly think a lot of it comes from the fact that it's still a big question mark for a lot in the mainstream, like the same in the early days of gaming and esports, same as in the early days of any other sort of technology life cycle. There's, there's just question marks. There's education that has to happen. People, it needs to start to feel real to people, right? Like, um, and, and we're just not there yet, right? Like the whole meta thing is the Facebook's transition to meta really, other than the name change hasn't happened yet, right? People still go on Facebook and use Facebook in the same way they always have uh, for the most part. So I just think it's not real for people yet. And and that may hurt these companies in the public markets for the next year or two, right? Until a lot of this stuff for just your average Wall Street analyst is like so much easier to feel and touch and see. Um, But uh, you know, I, I chalk these things up to sort of short term and probably other forces at work. Not really anything fundamentally has changed about the the upside or the potential here. Um, I, I will say Wall Street, though, sort of seems conflicted, <laughs> if I can say that, because the other story I wanted to put next to this one was was this one, which is J.P. Morgan, uh, you know, it's, it's called it's, you know, one of the foundational, one of the pillars of Wall Street, uh, JP Morgan, the first bank into the metaverse, looks at business opportunities. The subheadline here says the Wall Street bank has opened a lounge in blockchain based Decentraland. Um, it, it, they unveiled it. They called it the Onyx Lounge. The name refers to the bank's suite of permissioned Ethereum based services. They released a paper exploring 
Uh, businesses can find opportunities in the metaverse. They say they're getting a lot of client interest to learn about the metaverse, which is sort of the point they made earlier. Uh, and they put together a white paper to help clients cut through the noise and highlight what the current reality is and what needs to be built next in technology, commercial infrastructure, privacy, identity, and workforce in order to maximize the full potential of our lives in the metaverse. So, um, you know, JP Morgan thinks uh, that all these values are going to go up, right? They're, they're bullish on Decentraland, Sandbox, crypto voxels, all these kinds of land platforms and uh, bullish on D, uh, DAOs, DAOs. Um, what do you make, what do you make of JP Morgan sort of throwing their hat in the ring here, Jeff, and, you know, almost putting a stake in the ground and saying they're bullish on the metaverse. They want to educate their clients on the metaverse and they're sort of willing to put their, I don't know if it's their money where their mouth is, but, you know, having a presence of their own in the metaverse. And maybe sort of my second minor question is, do we need banks in the metaverse? Like, does Decentraland need a JP Morgan branch? I mean, to answer the second one, I I think the answer to that is probably yes. Um, You know, I I made a joke, I I think it was on Twitter or on Discord when I saw this, where, you know, it was, are these banks going to be giving metaverse mortgages? I mean, we've we've covered... land in the metaverse so much like and i I say it jokingly but at the same time it's sort of serious like am i going to be able to take out a mortgage to buy land in the metaverse in theory that will definitely be the case but i don't know if we're there yet well but will Um, you go to a branch in the metaverse to take out that mortgage why not and at this point why not uh but to your first question i sort of also laugh at that because i you know having worked at an investment bank my first uh, couple of years out of college. I worked at, at Barclays, for those of you who don't know. I just thinking to myself, like, who even at the bank, like, who came up with this? Was it, <laughs> you know, Decentraland approached JP Morgan? Who did they go to? And, and who's actually building this? Like, does JP Morgan have game developers on staff? Or presumably, I, I'm sure they contracted with, you know, an outside, outside like a, a marketing that, but... Yeah, it's or... it's fascinating kind of to to see this and good on JP Morgan for sort of taking the initiative and having this thought leadership because you can bet that their high net worth clients are incredibly interested in the metaverse and, and crypto um 100%. Does it change the math you think for these banks if because the, the all these banks whether it's JP Morgan or or otherwise Bank of America or Chase or whatever, right? They've all been built on on real currency, fiat currency, right? Like US dollars for the most part and transacting in those currencies and and lending in those currencies and right? Like, do you think if we believe crypto is the is the currency of the metaverse, um, w- will there be regulatory issues with these banks starting to operate there and providing services there, but in crypto, uh, like, are we going down a path where at some point the the you know the really the long arm of the regulatory law sort of starts to take notice right I'm, I'm you and sure me can, can launch a service right in the metaverse yeah. dealing in crypto no one's going to notice right yeah jp morgan launches a bank in decentraland and if they're dealing in crypto in some way does someone notice and go wait a second maybe we need to regulate this I'm sure the answer is yes. I am definitely not the right person to be asking about, you know, banking <laughs> regulations and the banking laws, but you can bet that 
you know, when JP Morgan is doing something like this, one, they pay compliance people a lot. So I'm sure they've thought about this. And two, <laughs> the regulators are going to notice and be knocking at their door pretty immediately. So you can bet both those things already happened. Um, so yes. <laughs> Um, Jeff, I want to get I want to make sure we have time to get to this last story because I think it's an interesting one. And the headline here is from GamesBeat. Salad Ventures, which is hor- I think it's a horrible name, by the way, raises 13 and a half million to build Guild OS platform for P2E. That's play to earn gaming. Um, let me try and explain this. So what, what they're trying to do here, it's an operating system for managing a play to earn guild. So the idea is that anyone will be able to use the platform uh, to start, manage, and scale a play-to-earn guild in any blockchain game. So the idea is to simplify guild management, help make it be profitable, et cetera. Um, I will also mention investors included, uh, like some of the ones I recognize, Polygon Studios, Winklevoss Capital, Gemini Frontier Fund, like some really great, uh, some great crypto investors, mostly, it seems. Um, curious what you think of this, Jeff, what do you, what do you make of, you know, I was recently on a panel about play to earn gaming. I'm sort of bearish on pure play to earn gaming. Cause I think people play for fun, not to earn Uh that's a longer conversation, but like, what do you think of a platform for guilds? So I could take this in two parts first. I mean, my, my views on guilds, I haven't fully formulated like a perfect investment thesis, but just in general, I, I'm somewhat bearish on any game that requires a mortgage effectively to start playing it. I just think <laughs> it's a massive... Like If I have to take out a loan to start playing your game, I'm probably not going to do that. Um, it's just a really bad process, an onboarding process, and it creates a massive barrier to entry to people who are trying to enter your game. And maybe guilds fix that, but I kind of feel like that's a little bit of a, of a bug, not a feature of, of play-to-earn gaming, where it's like, it just creates a really bad onboarding experience and user experience. Putting that all aside, if guilds are sort of here to stay, which again, I don't know if I necessarily believe that. I think eventually games will probably insource their guilds and maybe do some sort of lending to players when they first start so they don't have to outlay the money. So sort of taking what a guild does currently and just having it be part of the onboarding experience and be owned by the game and by the publisher so that's my sort of view on that. But taking that as if that doesn't happen and guilds are here to stay, this is really smart because currently I'm not entirely sure how guilds are managed, but I imagine it's a lot of Discord. It's probably a lot of different systems, Telegram, you know, just general like blocking and tackling. And something that that automates a lot of that assist like a management OMS management system for guilds makes a ton of sense. So I, I like the investment. I'm just not sure if I love the ecosystem. Like, I don't know if the ecosystem is super sustainable. I agree. I mean, there's always this risk of disintermediation. And this panel that I was on uh, this past week, like someone made, I thought was, which was a very smart comment, which is like Axie Infinity, the biggest mistake they made was not just managing the guilds themselves, like opening themselves up to external guilds and not having that in-house as a service uh was like leaving money on the table basically and and it seems like that's the that's that's the likely path i would assume most take uh, it, it's it's hard to say because I, I do see the benefit of an external third party that does this i see the benefit to the user and also potentially to the games who don't have to worry about this right 
there's some there's a resource out there for uh, players who want to start guilds and manage guilds and you don't need to worry about any of that. But it does feel like if they are lucrative in any way, which they are clearly, um, that you know the games themselves would insource this, would would include it as part of the feature set they offer, and anything where you become like a middleman, which this sort of is, feels like it could be disintermediated away. Um, uh, uh, where where I'm I'm. I think much more bullish is I love the idea of capitalizing on the explosion in play to earn and providing services and infrastructure to that space, right? If you're, if you're bullish on that space, it seems one of the smartest ways to go other than making a game is, is figuring out how to interface with all these games. Um, and so yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big fan there. I guess the other bull case I would mention just to play devil's advocate on, cause I was a little bit bearish on guilds. I guess it, it's, it's basically a community that that can go to different games and almost like become a kingmaker where it's like the guild decides, hey, we're going to go play this game and this game's going to become popular because we're bringing our 50,000 guild members and we get to buy the stuff first and then it becomes popular because we started using it. And then, you know, you kind of like... But you could see how the guilds, if they become kingmakers, could outgrow the usefulness of a platform that may take a cut of their earnings, True. for example, yeah. right? Yeah. Like if you realize you're so influential and every game is courting you or, or, you know, you, you can move from game to game and make a ton of money. Why, why give anything up to a platform if you can self organize in some way? Um, I mean, I guess that's also a potential risk and you may end up with just more of the long tail, like not the very biggest guilds or not the most powerful. Um, but it, it, look, I, given the set of investors, clearly there's a lot of understanding of, of that crypto space. And I, and I think a big challenge is the interoperability, right? If you truly can go make a guild in any, in any game, regardless of, me, of that game's own interests, right? Whether they want you to or not, there could be value there to the player. Yep. Um, guys, on that note, that wraps up this week's episode. Episode 13 in the bag, Lucky 13. Uh, if you love the podcast, make sure to go leave a five-star rating, a review, tell others about the podcast, share it with your friends. Jeff, thank you as always. Um, we have so much fun doing this and we will see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review and tell your friends, family and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Business.